I'm Mary Parker, and welcome to this episode of Eureka's Sounds of Science. Today, we are talking about corporate sustainability. When it comes to climate change, we are all responsible. From recycling to energy reduction to carbon mitigation, all of us need to be conscious of what we put into the garbage and into the atmosphere. For corporations, the responsibility grows exponentially. Here to talk about this crucial topic, just in time for Earth Day, is Greg Bellardo, Senior Director of Corporate Sustainability for Charles River. Welcome, Greg. Thank you, Mary. Delighted to be with you and the group today. Glad to have you here. All right. So to start us off, can you tell us a little bit about your background and experience? Absolutely. In college, I was a chemical engineer and very interested in the sciences. And then as I graduated, there was an opportunity to get into the environmental field. And really, I've been in the environmental fields since graduation. And that technical background really helped being a chemi. Most of my career in the pharmaceutical industry, about four years at one of the J&J subsidiaries. And then I moved on to Wyeth and spent about 18 years there, where I really went from a little bit more of a traditional environmental focus, which back at that time was really, hey, we have issues, we have Superfund, we have problems, what do we do to clean them up? And I thought, okay, that's that's good, but what can we do to prevent them in the first place? So I really got into the concept of what we called at that point pollution prevention. How do we minimize the amount of water, wastewater, um, air emissions that we're putting into the atmosphere? And that was, that was you know, relatively cutting edge for that time. But then in the early to mid-90s, it started to be called and started to evolve into this concept of sustainability. And I latched onto that really quickly. I loved the concept. It was um, a bigger, better version of pollution prevention. And I've really been, you know, really been focused on that since then. And I have to tell you, when I first started talking about being sustainable, and this is something we should do as a company, people literally thought I was crazy. I mean, they literally, they, no, they really, <laughs> and all my buddies said, you're crazy. You're ruining your career. And I said, you know, trust me, mm-hmm. one day this will be mainstream. And I think finally, yeah, well, it took longer than I had hoped, but I think, you know, finally, Mary, the time is now. This is very mainstream. Companies are talking about it. The financial houses, it's it's really become part of how we look at the performance of a company. And I'm delighted to see that. Yeah. And this might be off on a tangent, but I feel like a lot of people I've talked to their feelings about climate change can be influenced by where they've lived. And I've lived in all over the place, but most specifically, I've lived in Montana. So when you're talking about Superfund sites and climate change, the the effects are very visible. You know, either the crops aren't coming in or there's more forest fires than usual. And where have you lived that you've seen these types of effects? Sure. We've been in California the past five years, but prior to that, we were in New Jersey and, and we're at the Jersey Shore, very close to the um, to the ocean. And you know, really, because my wife loves looking at the water, being by the water, I thought it was great as well. But you could see the increase in flooding that our little town would get. And people would always say, boy, it didn't used to be like this back in the day. So you know, I think I think the rising sea level, the increase in storms. Uh, my in-laws, um, where my wife grew up, is in Staten Island, close to um, close to the water, and they were they were wiped out during Hurricane Sandy. Our house was spared, but only literally by one half of an inch. And we were in an area that was outside 
the flood zone. So you're seeing this a lot now. The, the you know the 500 year floods are happening every 20 years, not once every 500 years. I think that if we look at it from a macro standpoint, this is absolutely happening, and I think people need to really distinguish between the climate and the weather. The weather is what is happening today. So we can't say, hey, it just snowed in D.C. There's no climate change. We can't say that. We have to look at the the, the macro, the longer trends, and you know I think nine of the last 10 years have been the hottest years on record or you know something like that so the trends are definitely going in a direction that you know we need to wake up we need to pay attention to this we as a as a as a human race really need to as a species and need to uh need to address this and it's certainly within our power to do so absolutely so bringing it back to the business angle what does the history of corporate sustainability look like you mentioned the mid-90s was when people started kind of wake up and i imagine you know back in the when we first started building factories this was not something we were considering yeah no absolutely not and um Certainly, if you go back to the dawn of the Industrial Revolution, and I'll use this actually in a lot of my talks, I'll say, hey, raise your hand. What was the stream used for back in the 1890s? Really, it was just to dump the waste, right? Whether it's from a paper factory or whatever sort of factory, that was a way to take it away. And we thought the environment was so big that it did not matter. But then we realized that it that it did matter. Then we started to realize the environment is actually our planet, our home, and this is what provides us all the resources we need to live. So, you know, some people say, well, does it really matter climate change? Here's my answer. The planet will survive. There's no question about that. It's just whether we put it in a condition that we can survive on that planet or not. But then I think really in 1994, this was a breakthrough moment. John Elkington, British management consultant, coined the phrase, and to this day, this is my favorite phrase, the triple bottom line. So what that was about really is that, hey, from a corporate standpoint, it's not just only about financial performance. Of course that matters. But corporations also have a responsibility and should be measured on their social, which is people, and then the environment. And I, you know, and I agree 100%. I think this is a far more holistic view of a company's performance. I think that this makes a lot of sense. And, you know, I talk about it as much as I can. And I think, of course, the financials are important. And if you're not making a profit, you're not in business. But we need to worry about the planet and people as well. So what are some special considerations for the pharmaceutical industry in particular? You know, pharmaceuticals have kind of a unique uh, position here because as the climate changes, we will start to see more tropical diseases, all right? And, and you know, malaria, dengue fever, etc. And this is a real issue from a health standpoint, but also from an economic standpoint. So obviously, if people get sick, that's bad. If people die, it's even worse. But when they're sick and they can't work, really impacts the economics of that area. And many of the countries that are in the tropical zone right now are developing world-type countries, so they can't really afford additional hits on their economics. So I think climate change will really hit them even more. Pharmaceuticals, obviously, if we can do something to address these vector-borne issues, vector-borne diseases, would be fantastic, whether it's medicine to cure them, but you know, preferably it's some sort of a vaccine up front so we can stop people from getting sick as well. So I think that's a real opportunity. I think where we're manufacturing, 
and where we're locating our facilities is also something we really need to think about. You know, lots of the API manufacturing have been outsourced. Big Pharma does not do that anymore. It's outsourced now to generally the developing world. You're looking at China, you're looking at India, you're looking at Eastern Europe, and a lot of these a lot of these countries do not have the resources and the infrastructure to respond to natural disasters like we do in the U.S. or, or in Western Europe. So, you know, your supply chain, Mary, is definitely more at risk there. So I think companies will be doing more to think about that, where they're outsourcing, maybe not going to sole supplier, you know, redundancy in the supply chain. That is huge. And then I think big picture, the pharmaceutical industry unquestionably has an opportunity to be more efficient and thus more sustainable. And and I, I think people really need to realize that being more efficient, generally speaking, good for business, right? But also good for the environment. And here's a really interesting point here. E-factor, which is really uh, the concept of how much waste are you generating per kg or pound of product? Okay, and obviously we want that to be as little as possible. We don't want a lot of waste per pound of product. So as an example, Oil refining is at 0.1, and most people would think oil refining. Well, the pharmaceutical industry is around 25 to 100. So there's an awful lot of waste coming out of each pound of product, each kg of product that we put out. So huge opportunities to be more efficient, thus huge opportunities to be more sustainable. So in your experience, what are some of the steps that any company can take to get a better perspective on their climate impact? Because I think the first step is knowing what you're doing before you can start making changes. Yeah, that is absolutely 100% true. You, you know, what gets measured gets managed. You need to know your your baseline. You need to figure out what your energy use is globally. And most companies will start first with the facilities they own and operate, and then later on get into supply chain, which is is more, more complicated, but can have significant benefits. So you start with the facilities you own and operate, figure out what your energy use is there. From there, you can determine your greenhouse gas emissions, then figure out a plan and a strategy to significantly reduce that. You know, at Charles River, we recently went through this whole process. We had known our baseline. We went through the whole process in setting a target, a goal. And for us, it was a 50% reduction by 2030, 50% absolute reduction. And that's based on the science-based target methodology. And this is really, uh, you know, we set it in co- coordination with the UN, CDP, etc. And this is really the de facto standard moving forward, what companies need to do to help the planet maintain uh, 1.5 degrees Celsius uh, warming or less. So that's, that's kind of the cutoff point where things kind of get scary past the 1.5 degrees C. So for us, that's the 50% reduction by 2030. We will continue to grow as a company significantly and shrink our carbon footprint at the same time. And that's really where companies need to go. And it's really the new way of thinking, delinking your economic growth from your carbon footprint. On that note, what are some of the easiest ways for companies to mitigate their climate impact? What are the no-brainers? Yeah, I mean, the no-brainers are, I have to say, exactly what I tell my kids at home. You know, turn off the lights when you leave the room, right? <laughs> I mean, it's all those things. Yep. And and I will tell you, my family's always mad at me. They're like, you're always the last guy in the car. Why? I said, well, because I go back in the house and I turn off all the lights, right, <laughs> that were left on. And, you know, mm-hmm. I think they just see the lights left on. Who cares? I see a power plant belching out, perhaps, some smoke 
but certainly GHG emissions. And I see no value from the lights being on why there's nobody in that room. That's what I see. Most people don't see that, but that's why that, you know, that's why that really bothers me. And it's a big part of what we're doing at Charles River. Little things people can do. Turn off the lights. In laboratories, huge benefit shutting the fume hood sashes. And there's many examples out there of um, kind of cool little magnets that we can put on the fume hoods, little neat sayings, and we'll, we'll be printing those up and, and creating these magnets. It's good to shut the hood, uh, shut the sash, you know, all these things. But just by doing a lot of these very, very basic things, the typical commercial or industrial facility can save between 5 and 15% of their energy use. These are literally no-brainers. So all those things can, can happen and should happen at, at every site around the world and in houses too. There's no need to leave the lights on. I mean, these are these literally are no-brainers. Oh, absolutely. I think that's the key thing about corporate sustainability though, is that maybe saving 5 to 15% of your energy in your house is not a huge impact, but saving 5 to 15% at a big facility is kind of a big deal. It really is. It's, it's absolutely kind of a big deal. And I think along those lines, when we set the corporate goal, we also knew what we needed to do in terms of renewable electricity and then energy conservation at the facility level. But the reality of it is that needs to happen, or at least something needs to happen at every one of our 100 facilities. So we're, you know, we're engaging all of them on the employee engagement piece, doing the no-brainers, and then we're looking with our capital. We do have a, a sustainability capital fund that's been set up, which is, is fantastic. But with that, we'll be targeting the biggest bang for the buck. But yes, it, we, need that, we need the involvement of our employees, and we need the engagement at the facility level for, for this to happen, and that works for any company. So what are the, some of the programs you plan to integrate here at Charles River? Well, you know, as I mentioned, we've got a lot going on now with employee engagement. Our CEO is uh, Jim Foster is really supportive of our sustainability efforts. He announced in December at our company, Global Simulcast, our internal goal, that 50% reduction at uh, GHGs related to our owned and operated facilities. So that's really, really, really positive. But we're looking to engage all the way from Jim to all the other executives and all the way down to the shop floor. And so far, I have to say, everybody's really getting on board. Kind of our mantra is we work safely and sustainably, and we just want to get better and better and better at that. So that's really positive for us. We're developing a pipeline of projects for the Sustainability Capital Fund I mentioned. We'll be doing projects not only this year, 2021, 2022, all the way through 2030. And our global energy engineer, Frank Arena, has really been key in terms of uh, identifying projects, working with our facilities, teeing these things up. So I think there's some tremendous, tremendous opportunity for us to be more sustainable, but also to help the bottom line. A lot of these projects will have two or three year paybacks that are really, really good economically and environmentally. So really excited about that. And then at the same time, while we're really focused on GHG and energy reduction, we know that we need to look at water and waste as well. So we don't have as good a baseline there. We're engaging with our facilities and we really think probably around 2022, maybe 2023, we'll have good data there and we can start to focus on reductions and goals and plans to drive down 
water and waste as well. It's really those things. Energy GHG is, of course, number one, but then water and waste. If you've got those three covered, that's pretty good. For some industries, air emissions would be a big issue, not really so much for Charles River. So, uh, you know, those are our plans for the next couple of years, and I, and I think that'll probably keep us pretty well engaged. Can you tell me what it is that drives your passion for sustainability? You know, I think in general, this fits into my general way of thinking, which is long-term. I'm big into long-termism, not short-termism. And, and, you know, quite honestly, American business would be stereotyped as short-term. What can you do this quarter? What can you do this year? I always like to think, what can we do in five years? What can we do in 10 years? Heck, what would this look like in 20 years? So all the decisions that I've made for myself, it's always all about long-term. And sustainability really is a long-term play. So I always tell people, even if you don't understand all the details of sustainability, just think about what is the best long-term decision you can make. And if you make that decision, almost for sure, it will be a better sustainability play. So I like that aspect of it. I think it makes a lot of sense. I also really believe, you know, as I mentioned before, literally the planet is our home and we need to think about what kind of a home do we want to leave, you know, for our kids and our grandchildren. And my kids are still relatively small and I think, what can I do, you know, really, what can I do to make this a better place for them? And I think promoting sustainability, doing our piece to make it a more sustainable world is really a very positive thing. So yeah, every day I go to work and and work on this, I feel like there's something positive coming out of it. We're making steps forward and it's kind of a win-win really. Well, thank you so much for being here with us, Greg, and happy Earth Day. Well, thank you so much. Really appreciate the time, Mary. Everybody listening in, thank you for listening and uh, happy Earth Day to everyone. 